We hit the midway mark of the season for most of these leagues, and we're going to start reviewing them all this week on this episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. Alright, we are back again. Episode number 124 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. I'm Nick, he's Will, and as you could probably guess from the cold open, we are starting to do league recaps this week. We're going to start with the American Association, and then we'll move to probably the Frontier League and then the Atlantic League from there. Um, so that's kind of our goal for today. There's a little bit of news, but it's mostly American Association news, so we will lump that in with the appropriate team's, uh, I guess, recap, if you would. And uh, yeah, outside of that, there's a little bit of Sand Island news, which I guess we'll get to at the end of the show when we talk about the Atlantic League, and we'll deal with that bridge when we come to, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess we'll we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But you know, we can't just keep talking about like this team's still good for the eighth week in a row. Like eventually, we just gotta recap the leagues as a whole and talk about like where we are standings wise and stuff like that. So I'm I'm excited for it. I think I think it's a nice change of pace and. Uh, I'm, I'm excited. It should be a fun show. Yep, absolutely. And of course, you you got to acknowledge some of the teams that aren't doing as well. I mean, certainly their fan base as well and everything that goes into that. So uh, I guess on that note, we can kind of just get right into this American Association uh, recap, as it were. And I guess the best way to go is starting in reverse order in the standings here. So we'll start with the worst team and then we will move to the best team. Uh, I don't think there's really a need to go, okay, worst team in the North Division, worst team in the South Division. We're just going to go straight up the last place team in the league to the first place team in the league. And so on that note, the undisputed last place team in this league is eight and four, eight and forty nine. It's kind of jarring to see that they're twenty eight games back, a winning percentage under two hundred, and just recently broke a seventeen game losing streak with a win over the Winnipeg Gold Eyes. That is the Houston Apollos, and it has just been, I think, fair to say, a miserable season so far for them. There's a couple of guys offensively that are making their mark. Uh, Barry and Takis are the most notable of them. However, there's a few others as well. And uh, outside of that, it's been kind of a desert batting-wise. Pitching-wise, hasn't really been much better, if at all better. I mean, you, you have some guys. I don't want to say like it's totally barren. Uh, Tyndall, he's pitched a very little bit so far. But in the four outings he's had, they've been decent. Uh, but it's it's really just been a rough year for everybody involved with the Houston Apollos. We expected this, right? Uh, th- this wasn't this wasn't a, it certainly wasn't a, not a surprise at all that the fact that the Houston Apollos were going to be last. I, I would be lying if I said I thought they would be this bad. Like at, at some point, it's baseball. You got to win some games by accident. Uh, they're not really winning many games by accident at all. I mean, they're eight and forty-eight, and it just shows like kind of thrown together last minute. And you're putting them in a in a really good league like the American Association, and and again, it's less more of like how you would approach like looking at the Apollos. It's a lot less of how is the team performing and looking at guys that could potentially make impacts on American Association rosters perhaps late in the season, perhaps next year. I think, uh, I think Blake Berry could be, is a pretty good example 
uh, of that. He's a guy I really like offensively. I mean, he's played pretty much the whole season for them, hitting 297, six home runs. Uh, he's walked a lot, hasn't struck out a lot. I think he'll, I think he'll find himself on an American Association roster next season. And that's the goal for a lot of these guys. But, you know, unfortunately, I mean, the pitching is just so bad. But, you know what? I, I'm sorry. I have to throw a Lancaster uh, thing in here. Uh, despite the fact, the show, how bad the Lancaster Barnstormers, uh, pitching staff is, they're worse than the Houston Apollo, ZRO line. Oh, God. I'm really? So, I'm sorry. I had to do it. And I know I'm talking to my good friend, Javis Blake, over in High Point about this yesterday. And we were talking about how much. Uh, when he's, when he drives to work at the beginning of the week and he's listening to the Indy Ball report, his favorite part of the show, Nick, is the, Lan- is the, uh, Lancaster Barnstormers team ERA check. Well, yeah. we might as well get it out of the way because the Lancaster Barnstormers team ERA is 7.53 compared to the Houston Apollos 7.45. So congratulations, Houston Apollos. Because we got to shed some positivity. There's the positivity right there. I mean, really, God damn that! They're worse than a than essentially the Pecos League All Stars. Like I under, and honestly, like I can't <laughs> even be like, like I want to say, oh well, you know, the Atlantic League is a tougher league. But if we're being honest here, they're pretty comparable at this point. Like, I would be willing to say if you took the American Association All Stars and put them up against the Atlantic League All Stars and had them play a five game set that it would go the distance. It, there would be all five games, and to be quite blunt, I don't I, I don't know who would win. <laughs> I would say, to be honest, and this is my, like, this is my take on that, I think, offensively, I think the Atlantic League is significantly better, at least how I view it when analyzing the rosters. I think offensively the Atlantic League is better, but I do think, I would agree in the sense that I think the pitching is, is pretty comparable, maybe a slight American Association edge. So, uh, but you know, I, I think the 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 names and the the production in, in Atlantic League lineups. But again, it's so hard to tell because it's you're not comparing apples to apples here because of all the insane rules, and it just makes my head hurt. Uh, like the Trackman Zone, and it, it it makes my head hurt trying to. And oh no! And then when the mound gets moved back here very soon, uh, it's just going. I don't even know how to compare that. It's it's tough comparison, but so Javik, I, I hope you like this wrinkle on the uh, the Lancaster Barnstormers TBRH track, comparing it to the Houston Apollos. There you go. Yeah, there's always positivity to be found there, and I do want to just say one thing before moving on from the Apollos because I don't think there's terribly much else to say. They do have a hard draw in this. I mean, it's not exactly the easiest lot in life when you're thrown on the road as a traveling team, which is exactly what they are. Your team overall, and I know I'll get some flack for saying this, but at this point, the numbers back this up, so it's just a fact. The team's just straight up not as good, not as talented as the other teams in their league, not to mention the fact their team's kind of an organ donor for all the other indie ball teams, because when someone gets good, they tend to go quicker, and it's when players get cut and have nowhere else to play for that year that they wind up with the Apollo. So it really is a rough position to find themselves in. It's just a really unfortunate situation for the Apollo players to be in. But like you mentioned earlier, Will, uh, a lot of these guys, if not all of these guys, 
really aren't focusing about winning games. They're focusing on trying to get themselves contracts for next year, uh, more uh, permanent teams. So who knows, especially with an expansion team coming into the American Association, maybe some of them will find yeah. themselves in Lake Country. I think Lake Country could be looking at some of these guys, the top performers on this team pretty closely to try to, to try and fill out their roster to start next year. I guess more, even more on like the rookie side of things. Uh, of course, not knowing, the, of course, the classifications are always confusing and stuff like that, but I think they certainly will be looking at the Apollo's roster and looking for those top performers when they're trying to build a roster completely from scratch, something that the other teams don't really have to deal with. Yep, absolutely. And also, I do want to point out, when you do look at the Apollo schedule, there's a lot of, like, one and two run losses there. So they're keeping these games close, too. It's not like they're getting blown out 14 to two every game. There's a lot of two to three losses, uh, three to four losses, you know, a lot of five to ones in there. So not, like, these terribly ridiculous scores. They're, they keep these games very respectable and very close to the very end, too. So uh, they deserve props on that front. But, uh yeah. With that said, and that's probably the last time this year we will talk about the Houston Apollos, or at least the last time in the foreseeable future, we'll go to the second to last place team. And really, you could probably argue the true last place team, if you want to ignore travel teams, the Gary South Shore Railcats, one in nine in their last 10, uh, 23 wins on the season, 16 games back in the North Division. They're riding an eight game losing streak, a tough series against Cleburne and uh, Milwaukee before that as well. They play Fargo-Moorhead starting today, uh, Saturday. So hopefully they can turn it around but it's been a bit of a rough uh, year for them. There's a couple of guys hitting. There's a couple of guys pitching. But really, if you want to find the one really, truly bright spot, uh, Trevor Lupking has been really quite good for the Railcats this year. Absolutely. I think that that's the problem uh, with, with Gary Southshore because there are bright spots here and there. It's just as a whole, they, they really do struggle. There's not a lot of depth on the team. Only hitting 244s as a team. I mean, they're ice cold. Uh, pitching wise, a team ERA of 4.79. So, uh, certainly not great, but you mentioned Trevor Lupting. Um, he, he's had an excellent year, uh, in that rotation. An 11 starts, 3.91 ERA. Uh, and, and really getting, really being that consistent arm that, uh, that Gary hasn't really had, uh, for a while. Of course, they've gotten some contracts purchased, but hey, I mean, everybody has. Uh, so I, I think that we kind of, is another one we kind of saw coming, uh, in the beginning of the year, just looking at their roster. It, it did seem to lack, uh, a lack of good amount of depth. Uh, and th there's a lot of good teams in that North division. Gary doesn't exactly have an easy road. The second to last team in the North Division, as, as I'm sure we'll get to, is Kane County. Kane County's not a slouch of a team. I mean, they're 28 and 31. It's a tough draw, and I just, Gary's roster, does, it doesn't really have the depth to keep up. It does have its bright spots, but just um, j just an overall roster. It's, I think they're able, to, they're able to keep games close early on, but I think once you really hit this point of the late July, early August, you see teams start to separate themselves. Maybe guys starting to get a little bit tired. Uh, considering we're, we're reaching right around that, right around that 60 game mark that we hit last year. Do guys start to hit a wall? Um, maybe for certain teams, 
that, that is the case, especially for guys that didn't play at all last year. Uh, so that's going to be something to watch. And I think Gary's starting to feel a brunt of that now. And I think that's why you're going to see them at the bottom of the standings, as, as probably most people uh, predicted in that North Division. Yeah, not to mention, too, this is a, a younger team as well. There's a lot of guys that would be rookie classifications or near-rookie classifications there. You mentioned it. It's a tough North Division for them. There's really, you could argue four teams in that North division that are still very much alive in the hunt of things. Obviously you have a Milwaukee team that we'll talk about in quite some time from now and Chicago. And then you really, the two teams, like you mentioned, they're ahead of them in a uh, Fargo Moorhead and a King County. While they may not be doing as well as they were uh, a little earlier in the year, they still are certainly contenders. There's still certainly threats in this, and that just kind of leaves Gary as the odd man out. And, I mean, when you look at games, too, this, of course, you'll have a handful of blowouts, and then you'll have these games where they lose a lot of games by three or so runs, and it's just... You could see a lot of get games that just kind of got away from them, and it's unfortunate there. Of course, they're currently actually in progress as we're recording this one game. They're trailing 16-3, to so that should give you a, a rough estimate when we're recording this at, but they're having a very rough go of things as it stands right now, and it's not going to get any real easier for them. They have Fargo-Moorhead, then they have Cleburne, then you have a Sioux City team that we'll talk about in a bit and how they've kind of struggled as of late. It does get a bit easier with Sioux Falls after that, but then, you know, Lincoln, Houston, Lincoln, Winnipeg, and it just kind of goes on from there. So maybe when you start getting into that middle part of August, when you start getting these Houston games, you start getting uh, games against the Winnipeg team, maybe when you start getting, you know, more games against teams that are more in your weight class, hopefully that'll help out. But I don't want to call them dead in the water, but it it's a really tough hill for them to climb if they want to stay in this hunt. I'd agree. And maybe maybe dead in the water isn't the, isn't the right term because any team can get hot. Uh, but it's, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. It, it really is. So on that note, we'll go to uh, the Sioux Fall Canaries. They are 23 and 35, 13 and a half games out in the South Division. One game losing streak. They are four and six in their last 10. Uh, they played very well, I'd say, against Sioux City. You know, they dropped one game to them, 11-2, to so not great there, but they took a 2-1 to win and a 7-5 to win against them as of recent. Overall, though, the season hasn't been treating them all that well. I will say Wyatt Ehrlich has been probably the best player on this team so far. Uh, he, had, he had a 40-game on base streak. He had about a 30-game hit streak, so he's definitely been pulling his weight there. Jabari Henry's always pulling his weight, you know, and there's other guys here too, a couple other guys that are batting in the 300, so that's always a positive there. Ty Colbert has been doing well and as well, at least getting wins, striking out a lot of guys here, but again, it's a similar issue to a lot of these teams here where, sure, they can, they can hit pretty well. They're batting about 300 as a team, but when you look at the pitching numbers, it tells a different story. They've got a 6-5-3 team ERA, and it wouldn't be all that bad if you could get a little bit more reliable starting, but when your best starting pitcher has an ERA over five, that's not exactly a great start, especially when the next two closest guys that are really true starters are 603 and 613 on the ERAs. Yeah. I. It's funny, Nick. I think you were a lot nicer 
than I'm about to be for the, this pitching staff. I mean, it's legitimately horrifying. Like it is an it, it is an actual horror show uh, in, in 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 Sioux Falls right now. As far as their as far as their pitching staff, again in the preseason, we were kind of worried this was going to happen. Uh, like their lineup, not big on the pitching staff, but I mean, Nick, even yeah. if you factor in, even if you factor in relievers, uh, and excluding Javari Henry, who threw one scoreless inning as a position player, I don't think that's perhaps relevant. he should be pitching more often then. <laughs> you know what? Maybe, uh, but they, they have a, they have they have one reliever, uh, Ryan Patrick, who has a, a 4.50 ERA. Uh, in four innings. So, I mean, out of guys with any sort of legitimate sample size, the best ERA on the entire team, that's bullpen and starting rotation, is 4.84. Uh, and, that, and that belongs to Colby Wyatt. Uh, mm, yeah. That is, like, I, that is legitimately horrifying. They tried to really remake a lot of this, uh, a lot of this pitching staff kind of on the fly. Uh, it hasn't really worked. I mean, guys like Carlos Pimentel have really disappointed uh, for for them this year, and they really needed them to pitch well. Even you know, Ty Colbert's been pretty disappointing. Uh, yeah. Again, the guys that, that they thought, or even uh, Angel Ventura, um, guys that they that they were expecting a lot from, they didn't get uh, in that pitching rotation. However, I mean, this team absolutely rakes. Uh, it, it absolutely rakes. A, a two ninety four batting average as a team is really really hard uh, to achieve. Uh, I mean, you have out of the guys that are still here. Of course, I mean Logan Landon before before um, he ended up leaving the team and uh, getting yeah. a contract purchase, hitting three ninety. Uh, so that shouldn't go that shouldn't go unnoticed either. But I mean, you have let's, let's see one two three four five five guys hitting over three hundred. Uh, and your guys hitting over 337. So that, that is going to play. I mean, J- and Javari Henry is just a stud. He's been a stud for years. Um, not only that, he walks a ton. He has 15 more walks than strikeouts this year. Uh, so he is just an absolute stud. This team rakes from top to bottom. And it's almost a shame because when you have an offense like that, you're almost looking just for average pitching. Cause if you get average pitching, you can really go somewhere. Uh, unfortunately, they have not gotten average pitching. They have not even gotten close to average pitching. And it's a shame because you'd almost want to see this offense and what they're capable of doing in a playoff push and a potential playoff series even. It's just the pitching is so bad. It, it is so bad. And, and I know a team ERA of 6.5 would, would play you probably in the middle of the pack in the Atlantic League, but in the American Association, it's not, uh, it's not really going to help you much as shown by their 23 uh, and 35 records. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of bright spots in that lineup, though, for sure. It's just the pitching staff is just truly abysmal. And that's why they are, they are where they are in the standings. Yeah, that's the thing. I think if they got to just like below average pitching, then even they'd be slightly fine. Below, even slightly below average. Yeah, they would. They wouldn't be in that bad of a position. But yeah, they they are certainly far cry from good. I mean, there's technically actually the second worst pitching staff to only the Apollos there. So, 
make of that what you will. And just to show like the kind of discrepancy between the two, the next closest for them, Team ERA-wise, is 592, and that belongs to the Winnipeg Gold Eyes. So it isn't even really all that close uh, on that front. So it it is disappointing to see them kind of squandering offense like that. And you do wonder, how can the pitching be this consistently not good? And if it can kind of snap out of it. Because if you're looking at the last seven, Garko had a good start. Hasty had a good start. There's guys here that you're like, if they could just kind of string together a couple of good starts, maybe. But I think what ultimately kind of does them in, and with the exception of the Apollos, because I think we can kind of safely suggest that the Apollos are are kind of done. They're not going to go 51 and 49. And even if they do, I, I don't think that's going to be good enough to get to second place in this division. So the Apollos will safely say are out. I'd be willing to say that Sioux Falls is probably out of the hunt here, barring some sort of major change in the pitching staff. Just because when we go through the rest of the South Division, you're going to see there's a lot of really, really dangerous teams in the South Division. I mean, the next worst team in the South is 500. So we're going to be taking a detour from them when we talk about the next team. But it, it seems like it'd be awfully difficult for the Canaries at this point to get back into the thick of things, possibly even more so than a team like a Gary South Shore, which has essentially the same record. Only they're in a slightly easier division, you could argue. Right. Yeah, I think that's thing. The South Division is so strong; it's just tough for. Ideally, you could see, you could look at Sioux Falls and a lot of their numbers and be like, this could be a team that could get hot if they can get that average pitching, uh, because there still is a good amount of the season left. But it again, I mean, Kansas City is playing so well. Cleveland's playing so well. Uh, it, it just seems, it, it seems unlikely that they'll be able to climb out of, out of this massive hole that they've dug themselves. Uh, and so I, I think that's really the, the only way you can look at it for, for the Canaries. Yeah, absolutely. So with that, we'll swing back to the North Division. Now we have the newest kids on the block, the Kane County Cougars at 28 and 32. They are 11 and a half games out in the North Division, a three game losing streak currently three and seven in their last 10. And uh, they were pretty much shown that they that we have a two class system in the North Division. You have teams that are really legitimate contenders and then you have teams that perhaps while they're not out of things you can't write them off because they're a hot streak away from being really in the thick of things it's a a much different kind of team and they're not quite as well put together as a Fargo as a Chicago as a Milwaukee you have then your King Counties of the world and I don't want to make it sound like they're a bad team because they're not really that bad of a team they're not hitting great as a team about 260 or so they have a couple of guys uh Josh Allen being one of them Reeves being another one uh Casey Clemens another one some really solid uh pieces overall but as a team, I'm not sure they're necessarily putting it all together here. Uh, Pitching-wise, Visa's been very good. Probably one of the front runners in my mind for Pitcher of the Year in the uh, American Association. De Leon's been fairly good. There's pieces overall. I mean, Team ERA is a, is a 452, one of the better ones in the league. It's just they're not getting the offense to complement that. It's certainly held them back quite significantly to this point in the year. That's probably the right way to put it because you have um, 
You have an, an above, certainly an above average pitching staff, I would say, overall. Um, and, you know, and, and the starting rotation, honestly, is pretty solid. Uh, it, it's a solid group, so I'd say pitching are probably slightly above average. And then offensively, uh, offensively, they're, they're slightly below average. Uh, you know, they, they hit for some power, but not a ton. Alex got guys like Casey Clemens, of course, who's had an awesome year uh, with Kane County. But, you know, I think that when you have your definitely below average lineup uh, and, and a slightly above average pitching staff, you get an average team. Yeah. And that's, and, that, and I think that's that's really about where they are, and that's what their record says they are. I mean, they, they've struggled lately, so I think that's, that, of course, just three and seven uh, in their last ten. I think that's something certainly to note. Uh, I mean, I mean, Tyler Visa and his one start – this week, this week, a complete game shutout. Uh, he was, he was excellent. Uh, a full nine inning shutout. No walks, 11 strikeouts. I mean, he is an absolute stud, uh, honestly. Uh, but, you know, the, and Tolls gave them two decent starts as well. But, I mean, overall, the bullpen really struggled this week. And that, that was, of course, the team ERA for this week was 6.08. So I think that's, that's something you, again, you want to monitor. Uh, monitor for them as their offense had another fairly pedestrian week, uh, and I think that's I think that's about what they'll be an average team. I think Kane County, I could see them maybe climbing a little bit a little bit above that 500 mark uh, by by the end of the season. Uh, but I, I think that as far as like a playoff contender, they would have to get really hot, and I, I don't know if they have I don't know if they have that type of team to get really hot down the stretch and really challenge for a playoff spot. I, I can't really see that from them. But, you know, I, I'm not going to go ahead and just destroy them. I think solid team overall, just just fairly average, and it's not going to cut it when you have teams like Milwaukee and Chicago and uh, even Fargo Moorhead at the top. Yeah, it's, it's just a case of I think they got a lot of easy games early on in the year. You had uh, a lot of games against Sioux Falls. You had a lot of games against Gary. You had some Winnipegs in there. You had Lincoln when they were kind of, I don't want to say down and out, but they were still figuring it out. Now you're getting more more difficult opponents. You're getting Chicago more. Although they did play Chicago uh, fairly well in June, now that's a month a month ago. So now they're getting Kansas City. They're getting Fargo Moorhead. They're getting Milwaukee. They're getting more Chicago. And that's how it really looks. Like there's a couple of games against Sioux Falls. There's a couple of games left against Houston, and then from there out, it's pretty much all Winnipeg, Fargo Moorhead, uh, a couple of King or a couple of Kansas City games. Uh, more Milwaukee, more Chicago, and then there's a little respite at the very end of August, beginning of September, where you have a three-game stint uh, in or against Gary. But the schedule just doesn't look very good for them. And like you said, it's not really to knock them. They're not a bad team. They're just, like you said, they're a very average team. And you need to be better than average to really make it for a strong run in this league, at least this year. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can find a way to get back into the mix of things here. But I just think at this point, when you have a team batting-wise that projects to be third from the bottom, I believe in batting average, yeah, third from the bottom, batting average, only Gary worse than you and Houston, of course, but Houston's kind of a given in most of these things. It's going to be very difficult to kind of climb back into the mix of things, especially when the teams in front of you 
are batting 306, they're batting 383, they're batting 368, they're batting 367. You know, they're batting significantly better than you are as a team. Yeah, I, I think that's the that's the thing. I, I just think there's not not enough firepower in this team to really catapult them um, up to standings. And you know, again, I do think they could they could creep over the 500 mark. Uh, by the end of the season and maybe finish a, a few games over, even maybe five, six games over, but don't think, don't think it'll be enough, uh, eventually, uh, when push comes to shove at the end of the season. But it's still a solid team in general for a team that was, uh, kind of, again, thrown together last minute. So, and that definitely, definitely a decent season to build off of. I, I think it's probably the best way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. And on that note, we'll go to another team that had to sort things out kind of last minute in the Winnipeg Gold Dice, 28 and 30, 10 games back, a one game winning streak, 5 and 5 in their last 10. And they certainly are going to get a boost as it was announced today that the Gold Dice would be able to go back into Canada. Uh, they will begin games on August 3rd, uh, from their home, Shaw Park in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Uh, the plan is is pending approval, but if they do get the approval from the Manitoba Health Department, they will be able to go at 100% capacity in the ballpark, although all fans must be vaccinated. Masks will be required for fans under 12, as they cannot be vaccinated, as well as all fans and all guests in indoor spaces. Tickets will go on sale in approximately uh, three days from now, the 27th of July. So first off, great news for Winnipeg on that front. Secondly, they're really starting to turn the corner a bit, although a loss to the, well, to the Houston Apollos is never good. And I just want to point out, they lose to the Apollos one day. And then they go out and they beat Kansas City the next day. So that, I think, is a pretty good summary of this team, where they're very Jekyll and Hyde. It's a team where one day they're going to be doing very, very well. They're going to beat teams maybe have no business beating because they're one of the best hitting teams in the league. And then the next day they're going to go out and they're going to lose to a team where it's kind of a given you win against them because they have about a six-team ERA. So it's a very interesting setup that the Gold Eyes have. Oh, absolutely. I think I think that, that's a good way to describe it. You look at this team, this is a very good offensive team uh, in general. I mean, hitting 283 as a team, and you look, you look at their individual contributors at the top. I mean, Jay Gonzalez has had... An excellent year uh, at the top of that lineup, 341. Yeah. Uh, as well as uh, Raul Navarro, uh, also hitting 335 with a home run. You don't not seeing a ton of power on this team. Certainly, Max Murphy uh, supplies a lot of that uh, he, with his nine home runs so far. He's had he's had a great season as well. Kevin Lachance certainly, uh, and you know another guy who's had an awesome year. Carrying it over uh, from last season, uh, even even a little bit from 2019 as well as Kyle Martin, um, the the big first baseman uh, for for the Gold Eyes, has eight has 19 home runs uh, at the moment as well. And hitting 293, he's had a, a very very impressive season. Even even Les Dargo, a lot they're bringing a lot of these uh, very similar roster uh, to last season in, in a lot of ways, but. I mean, pitching wise, they've, they've really struggled in some, in some senses, definitely similar to, to the Sioux Falls Canaries. Uh, Jose Jose, you know. He's just reliable. Jose, Jose, Nick loves Jose Jose. Because, and right, so. 
because he's just steady Eddie. You know you're going to get a good result out of Jose Jose in the bullpen. And, I mean, yeah, people don't always, you know, want to use him as a closer, though it looks like that's kind of the role he's taken on with nine saves this year. Normally, he's kind of a setup man, but he's just reliable. You know you're going to send him in there, and he's going to get the job done. Absolutely. I mean, he, he's been reliable for, for many years in indie ball. But let me ask you this, Nick. Yeah. Does, is it a good thing for your pitching staff if Max Murphy, uh, who is a very good offensive player, and Kyle Martin, who are both very good offensive players, uh, if Max Murphy has appeared in five games as a pitcher and Kyle Martin has appeared in four, is that is that a good thing? Normally it doesn't. Normally means in about, oh, about half a dozen games you've been getting blown out and you said we got to save arms. Yeah. As overall, this team Can't has pitch. certainly struggled. I mean, no, not at all. I mean, they're starting rotation. I, I mean, out of guys, that their best arm. Uh, ERA wise in their starting rotation, Pete Perez has an ERA of 5.29. Uh, now, now does that change at all? If you move, when you move from, uh, from your home ballpark in Jackson to Winnipeg, I I don't really know as far as like how the ball travels, have traveled in, uh, in Jackson, Tennessee compared to Winnipeg. Maybe the air different, or maybe it's just this team going to struggle pitching wise. I, I don't know. Like ball is uh, is Jackson was kind of a band box. Hard to say. Uh, hard to say honestly, just because it's such a new ballpark and a new facility uh, to to indie ball. Uh, but so it'll be interesting to see. I think they're they're one of the really interesting storylines to watch in the second half uh, of the season, just because I mean they're hanging around. They're twenty nine. They're twenty nine and thirty. Uh, excuse me, 28 and 30. Uh, they're, they're, they're hanging around in this, in this race. I said, why did I correct myself and said 28 and 30? They are 29 and 30. Uh, in, so they went over Kansas City. They have a talented roster. They have a really talented lineup. You know, just the pitching change at all for them when they, when they move back to Winnipeg. I think that's something that, that remains to be seen, but I think certainly a, a very, very interesting storyline to follow. Yep, definitely. And just for uh, people unaware, the dimensions of Shaw Park are 325 to left and right field and then 400 to center. So I'd have to look at the ballpark at Jackson's actual dimensions to see how much that's going to affect things. But obviously things like uh, air density and and things like that that Will was mentioning, I wouldn't know about either. So possibly that has an effect. Maybe they just kind of get a bit hotter. Maybe they just start playing better baseball. Because like I said, they're not playing bad right now. And the dimensions of of the ballpark at Jackson are roughly the same. It's 330 uh, to left and right field, 390 to dead center. So uh, for what that's worth, that's just the dimensions of the ballpark. I'm not sure if that's going to help them, hurt them, or be indifferent to them. But that is just some information for you. I overall think that the gold eyes kind of are out of this division. I wouldn't necessarily say they're as out of it as some of the other teams we've talked about so far are, but I think just kind of overall, you look at the three teams that are ahead of them. They're ahead of them by about four and a half games or more. It's kind of clear who's the top dogs in this division and who's kind of just there. I think they're just kind of there. I definitely think they're going to finish over 500. I think they're probably going to finish not terribly much above 500. Maybe you say uh, 53 and 47. I could see that being a very realistic goal for them to hit. And I think it's 
just kind of a slow start that kind of put them behind the eight ball. And I'm not yeah. sure they're able to recover from that. And also, I just don't think they're going to be able to get the pitching that they need. And yeah, you could say, oh, well, you said the same thing about uh, Sioux Falls. They could possibly turn it around if the pitching turns it around. I'm not sure if I feel as confident with Winnipeg doing that. And more than that, though, it's just kind of like, where are you going to get the arms from? Everybody's looking for these indie ball arms. Everybody's looking uh, for the the waiver wire of players that got released from affiliated ball and the recently graduated college baseball players for arms. It's literally an arms race, and I just don't know if Winnipeg can keep up with that, especially when you have some other teams that are going to be looking for it that are in an arguably better position than they are. Nick, pun intended there for arms race. Oh, you know it. 100%. Yeah. The pun, the pun the, it, it, you know what? We can make that the new slogan of the Indy Bar Report. Puns are always intended. I mean, if you got to have a punny life. Otherwise, it's just not worth living. Exactly. So. Well, th- this, this is what you're going to get when you tune into the Indy Bar Report. Simple as that. Exactly. There's been 123 episodes plus leading up because that doesn't count the bonus episodes and everything. At this point, you know what you're getting. I'm sorry. Like, y- you can't act like we didn't advertise this. There is, like, literal hundreds of hours of audio leading up to this. You knew what you got, you got yourself into. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You, you, got, you, you got to know at this point. So puns always intended on the Indy Bowl report. Yeah, of course. And so with that, we'll go to the Lincoln Salt Dogs, the lone 500 club in the American Association, 29 and 29, seven and a half back in the South, one game losing streak, five and five in their last 10. Uh, so when it comes to the Lincoln Salt Dogs, they are an interesting team because they started off really bad, then they got really good. Now they're just kind of there. And I wonder how much this has to do with scheduling. I wonder where they're going to go from here. And there's a lot of question marks here, especially because they play in a not-so-fun division. But when you look at their schedule, yeah, they got some tougher games. They got Milwaukee, they got Cleburne, they got Chicago. That's not a fun stretch there. But they also have Houston to end the year four against them, so that's definitely going to help them. They got some Sioux Falls in there. They got some. They got six Gary South Shores left. Another three with Houston. Some Winnipeg's in there. That's fairly evenly matched, I'd say. They currently have a series going against uh, Sioux Falls still. So while yeah, they have some tougher games left. There's certainly, you know, there's a way where if they get hot, they could certainly be in this still. They got uh, Perez, who's hitting very well. They got Altman, who's been one of the best fielder, or one of the best infielders of the year to this point. Ryan Long's doing well. Forrest Alday is a dude that I was surprised got cut from Fargo-Moorhead last year, and he's proving that it certainly was a surprising decision to do that this year. I mean, he's just going off. And then you have guys that maybe aren't doing as well. Uh, David Vidal, who we kind of expected more out of, isn't performing as well. Uh, and then there's just kind of some reliable guys at the plate with Kurt Smith and Justin Bird. They're getting along. They're doing what you expect from them. Pitching-wise, you know, you expect the Brett Jody team, I think, to be a bit better at pitching. Not to say they're bad. I mean, a five-and-a-half ERA as a team isn't bad. But, I mean, Kinman's been good as a starter. Uh, Pugliese has been very good so far. And then it kind of dips a little bit. Um, I guess that's pronounced um, Minier. Uh, Minier. It, he's been fine. I'll go Minier. Yeah, Minier. Okay. 
right? Yeah, yeah, Greg, Greg Benier. Right. If it was like a, maybe like a, like a French, like Canadian, like first name, but I mean, his name's Greg. Yeah. All right. So we'll go with the anglicized version, Greg Minier. Uh, yeah. You know, he's been more of a bullpen guy than a starter, and he's been okay in that role. Uh, from there, though, it just kind of a drop off. A guy like Richie, I think we all kind of wanted him to do a little bit better than he's doing. Uh, Borkovich is not doing very good either. Uh, Bartlett's been up and down. Lance up and down. Uh, some of the more bullpen guys are heavier race up in the sevens. It's just they don't seem to string it all together. And seeing as you have a Sioux City team that's kind of teetering right now. They have a Cleburne team that's like full steam ahead. And then you have a um, a Monarchs team that kind of remembered, oh, wait, we're amazingly talented. We should probably live up to our potential now and have decided to do that. Uh, it, it just looks like a really rough road ahead for the Salt Dogs. And, and we'll get to it, of course, when we get to Kansas City and Cleburne. But the South Division is kind of looking like how we predicted it at the beginning. But boy, did they take a much different path there than any of us predicted. Oh, yeah. Like, we got, we got to where we thought we were going to get to. It was just a very, like, saying it was a windy path would not even be doing it justice. Oh, yeah. No, it so, just, it took like S turn after S turn, where it's like, oh, wow, the two teams we thought were really good are terrible. And like, Susie's way exceeding expectations and then it was like oh no way now we're just gonna cut right back here and one of them's gonna be good but one of them's gonna be bad and then it, it really it got out of hand there it really escalated quickly yeah yeah it, it really did but now the two best teams in the division are playing with the two best teams in the division so I mean but as far as Lincoln they kind of have a similar problem that everybody else has pitching not hitting has been really good or maybe not. I, I hesitate to say really good. Although they have hit for more power, I guess, uh, than, than other teams. But, I mean, the pitching has definitely struggled. I mean, Kinman and Pavlis have, have been excellent, as you would, as you would expect them, uh, to. They're, they've brought in John Ritchie, uh, former high point arm. You would expect a lot better from him, uh, in the American Association. He's had a really rough year. I mean, giving up 88 hits and 64 and two thirds is, is not going to get the job done. Uh, so, uh, and, you know, the rest of their bullpen, it, it definitely lacks a lot of depth. I mean, James Puglisi could only throw so many games. I mean, he has 17 games. But it, it, it's funny, you look at some of their recent additions, uh, Ben Wareski, lefty from Rutgers. Funny, funny story about Ben Wareski, actually. I hope, I hope, I hope I'm saying that right. We're, it's gotta be Wareski. But I, uh, when I, when I was, when I was, cause, you know, in my free time, I'll, I'll sometimes go scout some college prospects. Yeah. That are, uh, that are going to get drafted into the MLB. And so I was checking out Indiana versus Rutgers and Indiana had this really good arm, ended up going in the third round of the Colorado Rockies. Uh, his name was McCabe Brown. But on uh, the other side of it, throwing for Rutgers was the lefty Ben Wareski. Uh, and so, you know, when you, when you, when scouts come to see one guy, they have to watch the other guy too. And he, and when I tell you, Nick, he didn't throw a pitch above like 86 miles an hour. <laughs> But absolutely, and Indiana was nationally ranked at the time. Yeah. But, and he did throw a pitch above 86 miles an hour, but absolutely baffled them. He, he took a no hitter, he took a no hitter into the seventh inning and like 
he, I don't think he, sh- he must have struck out like three guys the entire game that he, the, that Indiana was so thrown off balance because he located so well. He mixed speed so well. Of course, being a lefty doesn't, doesn't necessarily uh, hurt in that part of it, but he, he kept them off balance and he was just pumping like 84 to 86 and was able to just completely throw off a nationally ranked team. And I thought that was just a funny story because, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure that Jody, um, We'll try to use him in this kind of change of pace one time through the order roll. I mean, he went two and two thirds innings, uh, his first, in his first start. So, uh, could be a guy that you put in one time through the order, a crafty lefty, get him out of there after. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see. And plus, I like Rutgers. So I'll take my time to talk about Rutgers. Uh, well, you know my thoughts yeah. on Rutgers. That, that much is dead certain, but. No. No, we we don't need your thoughts on Rutgers. Are we your, sure? Your because on, I, I have oh, a whole segment oh. in the in the one uh, clip show about my thoughts on Rutgers. Yeah, your, your your thoughts on Rutgers are not allowed. I have my own college. <laughs> they're not allowed. My, they're not no, allowed. They're not, I, I I am I am not allowing them. I'm vetoing them because they're incorrect. <laughs> I don't remember giving you veto power on this show. <laughs> <laughs> they're in, they're incorrect. I'm trying to stop the the flow of fake news into the uh, in in like into the people's ears. So well, that's I'm it. Now, now I'm leaving for the SEC. I'm joining Texas. I'm leaving for the SEC. Oh, uh, don't no. See, you can't. That's my that's my thing at the end of the show. You can't like jump under my thing at the end of the show. I'm gonna get to that. All right, all right. We'll take it slow there, but yeah, I I will just add one thing here before we move on to the next team here to keep things moving because we've only covered about half the league so far, but. I do think the Celtics have some potential to rally. They have, there's only about 17 games where I project them to be the underdog left in their schedule. And then it's a lot of Winnipeg. It's a lot of South Shore. There's a lot of uh, Houston and Sioux Falls. Teams like that there that are left in that schedule. So I'm not willing to say that they're totally done yet. I think if they could just get the pitching, again, to just be league average, and then they continue to hit, whether that be for average or for power, I think they can steal enough games here where if you could go, say, 7-10 and 10 against those games where you're underdogs, I believe, let's see, they've played about 60 games so far, so you knock 17 out. That leaves you with approximately 23 or so games. So let's just call her 20 games in total. If you can go, say, 15-5 and five in the games where you're even too favored in, all of a sudden, it becomes a lot more interesting, I think, because now you're 22, and what would that be, 22 and 15, roughly, in your last yeah. uh, 20 or so, or 40 or so games. That all of a sudden makes things a lot more interesting, especially if Sioux City keeps to uh, continue their decline, and then you just need one or two of the teams in front of you to slip up a bit, and all of a sudden, now we're like, hey, you know, we got a team here that's about 55, 60 wins, who knows? Maybe they're able to kind of surprise some people and jump right into the middle of things. Sure. I think this could be a, a, a team that breaks out, that starts to break. I, I would say a second half, but we're, we're a little bit into the second half at this point, the American yeah. Association. So we'll, we'll go like the last two thirds, yeah. uh, the last third uh, breakout. So, yeah, I mean, given that their schedule uh, definitely eases up, it could, it could be an interesting team to watch, especially if the pitching can uh, can uh, can pitch a little bit better. They can get hot for a little bit. We'll have to see. 
Absolutely. So on that note, we go up to the next team on the list, which is the aforementioned Sioux City Explorers, 33 and 27, four and a half back, technically two back of a, of a playoff spot as it stands right now. Only team on a winning streak in the South Division as we record this, and they are five and five in their last 10. They start off much, much harder to open up the year. So that's part of their uh, reason why they're in the middle of things here still. But uh, they're a team that has kind of fallen off offensively since losing uh, Jared Walker. They're a team that they get they get their pitching, you know, 4.64 ERA as a team here. Bullpen arms are very good. Nate Gherkin, Jose Valdez, uh, or Velez, guys that we knew were going to be good out of the bullpen. They're good out of the bullpen. Of course, they lost uh, a couple of guys, namely Porberico, uh to the Marlins. And then, of course, they got Brashers, they got Coons, they got Koch, they got uh, Quintana. Really solid bullpen guys. Danny Herbick Herbic, has been surprisingly good. I know his ERA is a little bit higher than you would expect, but he had some mop-up duty in there as well. So that kind of explains it. Uh, but really, it's been the starting pitching for them, uh, which is, I think, a little bit different than some of the other teams we've talked about. It's kind of been their whole pitching staff for those other teams. With these guys, it's like, look, they got, what, one, two, three, four guys, five guys that you can rely on the, out of that bullpen. For them, it's really starting pitching. It's it's Beardsley. Maybe Adcock and Hedges, but even then we're starting to get a little shifty there. Uh, I mean, then they've kind of tried to figure out the rest of that rotation. Ledette's gotten 11 starts. Riley's gotten seven starts. Smith's gotten five starts. None of them have really, you know, firmly taken that starter's role and ran with it yet. So it, I think that's really their issue. If they could just get the starting pitching, they'd be right back on pace. Yeah, I, I can see that. And, of course, uh, it's interesting you mentioned Jared Walker. Certainly, certainly a big loss uh, to the lineup. Uh, but I think you're right. I mean, the bullpen has been absolutely dynamite. And they have been for, for the entire season in that point where Sioux City was at the top of the South Division. I mean, the bullpen is a really, really big reason, uh, really big reason why guys like Velez and Quintana and Durkin, guys who have done it before in the American Association, they're continuing to produce. It's just the starting rotation. I mean, it's, it's been tough to find starting pitching this year. Uh, but out of the guys that, that are still here. Um, I mean, if you look at uh, the, the, the bottom five guys in ERA uh, on this team, they're all starting pitchers. So that, that isn't, I mean, the bullpen, the bullpen's been awesome, but you, you, at that point when you have such a good bullpen, you're just looking to get, you're looking to get five solid innings and you're looking to turn it over to your bullpen. Almost like those, those 2015, uh, 2015 Kansas City Royals, I'm sorry, Nick. I had to do it. I, I, it was too good. I had, I had to do it. We're, we're just going to keep moving. We're just going to keep moving. Yeah. So, uh, but, I mean, offensively, they certainly had a lot. Uh, there's been a pretty good offensive team uh, in general, certainly losing Walker. But, I mean, Jose Thermo, I've, I've, uh, I've talked about uh, at length about how much I love Jose Thermo. I mean, he's an absolute... Uh, he's an absolute beast, but I mean, you look at guys like LT Tolbert as well. Uh, it's a really, really good season for him. Uh, nearly hitting 300 uh, as well. O- only three home runs, a good contact hitter uh, at the top of that order. So uh, I-, I think Sioux City has-, has started to fade a little bit, and it's been pretty. I mean, 
I hate to say, I mean, it's been pretty much due to that, uh, to, due to them not being able to, to find, uh, consistent starting rotate, starting pitching, uh, which has been a constant theme throughout all of it deep all this year. Uh, but, and, and they're also just getting, uh, passed by two teams that are very good. But listen, Sioux City's still in it. Uh, it would be, it would be foolish to count them out. So, uh, so if their starting pitching can get a little bit better, again, you just got to get it through five innings, turn it over to this dominant bullpen, uh, let some, let the offense carry, let the bullpen carry it. Sioux City could certainly get back in the race, uh, once, if they start to heat up a little bit. I certainly believe that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, a couple of thoughts here. Uh, first off, Chase Harris, too, is a fantastic center fielder. He made probably the catch of the year, uh, earlier this week. With the kind of like over the shoulder diving catch, like that, that was a very impressive catch. I mean, there's a reason it made Sports Center, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, there, secondly, LT Tolbert's nickname has to be the Lieutenant because of the LT in front of there. So the Lieutenant is hitting very well, and same thing with Claire as well, who was a guy I didn't have high expectations for, but has done very well so far this year. Um, so Nick, are, are, is, are you giving? Is this another indie ball report nickname, or like, are you? Or is this his actual uh, nickname? No, this is a, this is just a nickname I'm giving him. I, okay, assume, so, I assume at some yeah. point in his career, someone else had to have given him this nickname. But if I could get this one to stick too, then I can go two for two. And quite frankly, I got to take that. If you're bad two for two, that you're having a good night. So, so I think I think we need to get I think we need to get on the Sioux City Explorers uh, broadcast then with the lieutenant. I know. Not stepping to that is Lieutenant Tolbert. Exactly, and Lieutenant Tolbert is just he, That's right. he's killing it. He's killing it. And then I'm, yeah, and so I'm looking here at the rest of their schedule, and they have a fairly easy draw until a roughly August the sixth. That's when it gets tough again because they got Houston, Winnipeg, uh, Gary, and then then they got uh, Winnipeg again. So not terribly difficult, but you know, still could cause some problems. Then three against Fargo, Moorhead, four against Kansas City, three against Cleburne, then another three against Kansas City, then another three against uh Cleburne as well and then they finally get to go back to playing Houston Sioux Falls then Fargo Moorhead again and then they finish with a four game stint against Sioux Falls so really Hawkins is really going to be their stress test if they can find a way to stay afloat from August 6th through about August 22nd they'll be fine if they can't they're going to be in a world of pain. Now, the plus side to all of this is a lot of those games are home games. In fact, from August 6th through uh, through August 15th, all home games. Then they only have the six on the road and then more home games, and then they don't go on the road again until the, to the really the very end of the season. Then all of September, they're on the road. But they have a long home game stand for the most part here. Not a lot of road trips. Everything's pretty straightforward to them. In fact, from today until August the 15th. So actually August 17th for that first road game. They only play three on the road. So they have about a month worth of home games right now. So this is a period where you really got to take advantage of your schedule. And I think that we'll kind of know where they're at by the midpoint of August. If they're still hanging around, they're still being kind of like that annoying little gnat that's just kind of floating around your head, then I could see them very, very much still being in the middle of things. If they kind of putter out in about a month's time, 
at that point, you're only going to have about two or three weeks left in the season anyway. And I'm not sure if that's enough time to make up for, you know, well, lost time and kind of beat the players or the teams you have left on your schedule. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a good point. So, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll know kind of team they are here uh, pretty soon within the next uh, within the next two to three weeks. So, uh, but again, definitely a team that is still very, very much in the race. Again, a team that was pretty comfortably in first place not too long ago. So uh, they ha- they had the talent to get there in the first place. They still have the talent now to do that. Uh, but so it, it'll it'll be interesting to see for sure. I think they're they're one of the more interesting storylines uh, in the in the back third of the season. Yep, absolutely. So with that, we'll go to the Fargo Moorhead Red Hawks there, and then after that, we are talking about playoff teams. So we're moving along here, uh, steady pace forward here another team that started off the year very hot then they kind of cooled down started to lose some players and they just you know kind of overall kind of leveled out uh a couple of guys i really want to talk about here a guy like will zimmerman who started off really really hot for these guys making some really fantastic uh plays in the outfield he's cooled down a bit but he's still batting about 264 and he has a couple of home runs in there about three of them so he's definitely you know working he's providing he's certainly not any slouch in the lineup silviano's providing some power prime's providing power george providing power Pena providing power you know the usual suspects kevin kraus doing very well Pena again has been one of the better players as well as prime i know i just mentioned them but they're worth mentioning again dylan kelly's doing extremely well same thing with uh, boskin as well really all three of their catchers are doing pretty good this year uh sam dexter's hitting well really offensively speaking this team is doing extremely well batting 307 as a team here pitching wise they're not even that bad of 463 uh, again, this is just a case of uh, they've lost some guys, Tyler Pike and McGovern and Hegert are three guys that we really thought going into this year would be critical in that rotation. They were gone fairly early on. Uh, so that's definitely a, a major strike against them at the moment. Not that they could really do much about that, that it's going to happen, but they've kind of had to figure things out on the fly. Dubard's have been very good out of the bullpen. Hope's been good out of the bullpen. Flores has been good out of the bullpen. Uh, it's really where you start to struggle as the starting pitching again. And it's really through no fault of their own. It's just guys are getting the contracts purchased. So yeah. it's going to happen. It's interesting to look back on that rotation that they did have at the beginning of the year that was just like unbelievably good. You know, that's what happens in any ball, right? Uh, as we were talking about uh, off air, as far as like the Atlantic League, uh, between Lexington and Long Island, who's going to be the team? Not the best, the best team's not going to win. The team who can do just not good enough, but still good. And then, so they keep all their players and then make a run in the playoffs. It's very interesting because how good, because they are such a good, uh, offensive team. Uh, and you know, their bullpen has been good as well. It's just, they've struggled to replace those guys. They've got, they've got, certainly got some good arms, uh, in that rotation. Uh, certainly Brent Jones, uh, as well. A guy who's been mostly a reliever for them in his time, uh, with Fargo Moorhead being converted to a starter in, in order to help, uh, in order to help that transition trying to replace a lot of those uh, guys who ended up getting their contracts purchased. He's been solid. Uh, he's been solid overall. Um, his walks are certainly a little bit higher than he'd like them to be, but I guess not too unexpected for a guy that's going from being a, a reliever for a while to going uh, into the starting rotation. But, uh, I mean, the far more had offensively just 
they're they're just so so good. Uh, they hit for power. They hit for average. And of course, and it's the usual suspect: Leobaldo Pena, uh, Kraus, uh, Cordell Prime, of course, uh, as well as Kelly. Uh, I can go on and on. You've talked about them before, and of course, John Silviana, uh, the the, form, the former Saint Paul Saint. Uh, he's been a major addition to this um, to this lineup as well. So I mean, still Fargo Moorhead, still a very very good team. Um, I, I think them in Chicago, I, I think, are very, very even uh, in, in my view. Of course, only separated by two games in the standings at this moment, so not necessarily breaking news there. But I think they're they're very, very close together. I you can make the case Fargo Moorhead has a better roster. I, I think it's going to be a really fun playoff race. I think between those two specifically, I feel pretty confident in saying Milwaukee's. Uh, gonna come at, gonna be the, on top of the North Division come season end. But Fargo Moore has a really talented roster. They will certainly be in the playoff mix. I think you could, I, I would almost say, I would probably pick them to be in the playoffs this, at this moment because of how good this lineup is. And then the pitching certainly isn't bad either. So I, they're, they're a really interesting bunch and who's playing very well at least. Oh, absolutely. And I'm not going to lie. I want to see them selfishly just get into that second place spot because I want them to play uh, Milwaukee. I think that'd be a very fun series. Not to say that Chicago Milwaukee wouldn't be, but as we kind of saw over the last two weeks with a lot of Milwaukee Chicago matchups, Milwaukee's overwhelmingly been the better team and it really isn't much of a debate there. So I'm interested to see how that goes. I would normally say, oh, let's look at the schedule like I've kind of been doing up to this point, but to be honest, I think they match up pretty well against just about anybody in this league. They're a very solid team. I probably put them put them in at that four or five spot for overall standing in the league, and that's just because there really is such a uh, have and have not class in this league, where there's six teams that are very much alive, very much in the thick of things, and if any combination of those six made the postseason, you could realistically see a path that way. And then the other six, it's like, sure, you're alive mathematically, but practically, how realistic is it for you to get to the postseason? And Fargo-Moorhead is one of those teams where I think at the end of the day, if they don't make the postseason... It won't necessarily be through any fault of their own. It'll just more or less be there's two teams ahead of them that just simply played better than they did. And at the end of the day, if that's what keeps you out, then, I mean, you could be upset about it because it's not fun to not be playing in the postseason. But you can at least rest easy going, we didn't screw ourselves out of that playoff spot. We got outplayed for it. And there's nothing we can do when we just simply get outplayed. Now, I will say, if a team in the South Division finishes with a worse record and makes the postseason, which I don't think is going to be the case, and Fargo Moorhead's on the outside, then, yeah, you could be a bit salty about that. But, hey, that's just how it goes sometimes, right? Yeah, that's how, that's how divisions work. As, as a fan of the New York Giants, I benefited from a lot of that, despite being a 6-10 uh, a, a team. Uh, but, uh, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Uh, but I agree. I think that Fargo Moorhead matches up well with, with pretty much any team in the league. And, and I agree with your assessment about, about Milwaukee and Chicago. And not to say that, like, I don't want to give Chicago their credit because they've certainly exceeded expectations this year. Uh, it's just, 
I, I don't I don't know if them versus Milwaukee would be that competitive of the series. I just think Milwaukee's on another tier. Uh from Chicago. I, I think I think Parker Moorhead is a more intriguing matchup to me than, than Chicago. I'd almost like to see that happen um a little bit more. The but Fargo Moorhead's a really talented team and I, I think and of course no matter what, they'll be in it to the end. Oh, absolutely. So with that, we'll continue on to the next team here. From this point on, these are teams that are currently in a playoff position. So the first of those teams is the Cleburne Railroaders. They are 34 and 24, two and a half games out of first place, one game losing streak, but seven and three in their last 10. A team that got off to a slow start, but we've talked about on the show before, that was largely due to the fact that they, quite frankly, were constantly having contracts purchased for them. So it became very difficult to get into a routine, get into a rhythm. And then they finally found their groove. They lost their manager, but they kept winning very, very, very lopsided games and a couple of competitive games as well. They've really established themselves as of late as a top tier team. Now they're going to have some more difficult games coming up on their slate. They have a series against Chicago this week, of course, and then they have Gary Salashore in Houston. So they do get a bit of a reprieve, but then it's back to Chicago it's back to Kansas City, and then you got Sioux Falls a little bit after that. Milwaukee, that honestly could be a series to watch in the middle of August. Uh, the Cleburne-Milwaukee series, that's definitely shaping up to have some really, really explosive endings there. But all in all, I, this is a team that is very, very well put together in my mind. They have pitching. They hit very well, a 283 batting average as a team. Uh, maybe not the most power hitting team uh, obviously a guy like Ramon Hernandez hits 15 home runs uh Clannon hits eight Vaughn hits seven so you do have guys chipping in like that uh pitching wise like it really said they're not a bad pitching team uh 445 ERA especially considering all the guys that got purchased certainly yeah. not bad uh they have guys like Cruz doing very well Krause has been one of the better relievers in uh, the American Association this year, which going from playing club ball at Texas A&M to now professional ball very well is certainly impressive. Bullard's come in, made a couple of starts so far. He's doing well in that regard, too. Uh, really, as a whole, the team's getting by. There's some starting pitching that isn't working out as great as you'd like it to be, but, I mean, that's the case on just about every team at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Before we get to the roster, Nick, did you see their uh, their their whole thing with Scott Van Pelt? Yes, uh, I did. Yes, I did. And if you're not aware, I feel like we should inform the listeners. Who have no yeah, idea. this is this is definitely uh, worth a detour. What I'm talking about, basically, Cleveland made the top 10, Sports Center top ten plays, uh, and of course, so uh, Scott Van Pelt said, you know, who's playing and and who won and and all that good stuff. But decided to pronounce uh, Cleveland. Uh, name is the, uh, Claiborne, Claiborne Railroaders. Uh, and Cleburne called them out on it. And, you know, to Scott Van Pelt's credit, next, next show, even though he didn't directly say, I got called out on it, he said the word Cleburne like 800 times. Uh, oh, yeah, to, he made it known. Yeah, it says like the Cleburne, the, the Cleburne Railroaders, and we'll go to break, Cleburne. <laughs> yeah. He just kept so, reiterating the point. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I thought that was interesting. But, you know, yeah. as far as the team, I mean, they're a really good team that's finally really hit their stride because they had so many contracts 
picked up early on. They've done a pretty nice job of replacing that group. There's, you know, guys in the starting rotation that, that have struggled a little bit. But, you know, that's been the case everywhere. I mean, just look at the sheer number of pitchers that, they, that Cleburne has had this year. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, I mean, next time, next time you start talking, like I'll, yeah. I'll go ahead and count all these guys that have, yeah. uh, that, that that all these guys oh, yeah. have they, in a game. Yeah, they've lost a lot of guys here. I mean, just in recent times, they've lost what three or four starters that I can think of off the bat. Then there's a couple yeah. of guys that I found surprising that they released, like a Kyle Chavez, who pitched very, very well for them in seemingly every outing. So I'm not sure what the deal is quite there. He wasn't a contract purchase, at least not to my knowledge. So I'm not sure what happened there. But there is certainly a uh, uh, a lot of turnover on that pitching staff. Yeah, absolutely. So and they've done a great job weathering that storm, and they're playing great baseball. Uh, they're, they're, I mean, their offense is hitting as well, and they're and even though they're not the same group we saw at the beginning of the year, they're still playing very well. They're still hitting, and their pitching has been serviceable, especially considering of how they've had to kind of build this this pitching staff on the fly. And they've done a they've done a very good job of it, but despite all the factors and having a manager bizarrely, whatever happened there, just step down or retire or whatever they wanted to call that. The, the bus situation, and it, it, it hasn't mattered because they've still continued to play good baseball, and right now they're in a, and they're in a playoff position because of it. And I, and I do think I do think they'll stay there. Oh yeah, no, I think they're definitely the front runners to hold down that second place spot. I'm not sure if I'd go as far to say that they're going to get to be the first place team in their division, but I certainly do think they will hold down that second place spot uh, in the South Division. Uh, certainly there so there will be a team to watch uh, without a doubt moving onwards we go to the next team the second place team in the north the chicago dogs 37 and 24 607 winning percentage three games back of the first place milkmen one game winning streak six and four in their last 10 like i said they're kind of still licking their wounds from a not so pretty series against Milwaukee. I believe that was a sweep to them. And I know uh, the owner of the Milkman, uh, Mike Zimmerman, I believe his name is, he was going back and forth with uh, the dogs on Twitter a bit. Uh, something over not doing a seventh-inning stretch. I, I wasn't quite following uh, that whole uh, escapade there. But, yeah, they, they haven't really played Milwaukee well. They did get a nice little break. They're getting some a game against Gary South Shore and some games against uh, Houston in there as well. Uh, but they don't exactly have the easiest slate coming up. They have a lot of games against Cleburne. I see a lot of games against uh, Kansas City, um, some games against Lincoln, uh, Fargo Moorhead in there. Not the toughest thing. There's a good amount of King County in there as well, so make up that what you will. But they're a team that I wouldn't say they're, they're a batting team. They bat below 270 as a team. They have a couple of guys to hit for power, Adams and Krause being two of the major ones, Casey Hobson as well uh, there. Ryan Lidge is probably the guy that's really driving the bus on offense alongside uh, Danny Mars. Uh, both of those guys are batting extremely well. Lidge batting nearly 400 on the season. So, I mean, that tells you what you need to know. And that's in 50 games as well. Uh, so that's not a small sample size at all. Uh, team ERA is roughly the same as Cleburne, 463, uh, if I'm not mistaken there. And it's just, again, another case of they're really kind of piecing it together 
starting pitching wise. They've just lost Jake Dahlberg. That'll be a serious hit to them. There's Bowden still. There's Whedon still. I'm not sure uh, exactly what their deal is because they haven't thrown a lot of innings, not a lot of starts in there. I'm not sure if they dealt with some injuries or they're still dealing with that or, or what their deal is exactly there. But starting pitching is certainly a concern of, of mine when it comes to the dogs. Christman and Kipper have gotten the most starts and they have very high ERAs. And that's obviously doesn't need to be said, but it's not a good thing. So I'm concerned about that. I'm a little concerned because I see a lot of just like five games, six games, seven games played, a lot of sub-20 innings pitched guys here. And I think that's part of the reason why the ERAs are low in that regard. Because when you start getting up into that 30, 20, uh, 40 innings pitched category, they start going, you know, mid threes, fours, high fours, sevens. So that is certainly a, a bit of a concern of mine. Chicago's a good team. They're definitely a good team, and that's why they, they are where they are. I, I worry a little bit about uh, their pitching staff, of course, just because Dahlberg is a, is a big loss. I mean, he's been so, so good uh, for them, both in a relieving and starting role this year. But, I mean, their, their bullpen has been pretty solid. Worry about the starting rotation a little bit with, with those guys out. Uh, but, you know, the one interesting thing I, I saw about the lineup, which is a solid group overall, I don't think it's and it's already been great, which I think Chicago's a solid team, but I think Chicago Moorhead's a little bit better. The one thing I found very interesting about Chicago, the Dogs are the only team that has not had a position player purchased. So they have run the same exact position player group out there the entire season. That's, Houston even hasn't done that, because they had Nick Anderson purchased way early in the year. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so then they'd be the, the Dodgers would be the only team in the American Association that have done that, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's it, probably a large part of their success, too, when you're able to run the same nine guys out there. Yeah, and they haven't had to, they haven't had to replace those guys. Will that continue down the stretch? I don't know. We'll, 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 we'll have to see. Uh, I mean, you could certainly see a guy like Ryan Lidge getting his contract purchased at this point. I mean, look at the numbers he's putting up. The guy's hitting nearly 400 in his, in his first 50 games as a, as a switch hitting catcher. You'd have to think that that could certainly be, um, certainly be looked at as very valuable by a, uh, by a major league organization. And he, he's carrying a lot of this offense. So it's not that I don't think the dogs are good. I just don't. It's a real shaky foundation could, for them, really, because they have. I, I could see, I could see some regression coming for them. Yeah. Uh, in, in the last, in the last third of the season, I guess that's the, that's the best way to put it with the loss of Dahlberg. Starting rotation is a little bit shaky. You start to lose maybe some guys that you have to replace as far as position player wise. Again, I, I, they'll still finish with a good record. I, I just think. I just think Fargo Moorhead, um, Fargo Moorhead in general is probably has a better overall roster. And I think that, and I think you've started to see that kind of even out over the past few weeks or so. I mean, Chicago's, Chicago's on a, on a losing streak at the moment. Well, I guess they just snapped it tonight. They beat Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, but. It's, I, I, it's think not, of, I think Fargo Moorhead, yeah. Yeah, it's not as much of a slam dunk as you would have said about a week or two ago that they would be, yeah. you know, keeping this up, getting that playoff spot. You have a team now in Fargo Moorhead that's a very good hitting team. And if you really want to get down to it without Dahlberg, how much better of a pitching team is Chicago than Fargo Moorhead? And if the answers are even, then Fargo Moorhead's likely to kind of pass them just because. They can kind of slug their way and hit their way out of a problem a lot easier than Chicago can. 
Right. Yeah, yeah I think that I think that's a, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So with that, we'll keep the train moving. We'll get to the top dogs in the South Division, the Kansas City Pun Monarchs. Intended. How long we got to stop? Pun intended. Less intended, but this, yeah, we're going to call it intended. I had so a railroader one up there earlier intended. too. That kind of passed through. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, now it's intended. Yeah, this one, yeah. Uh, any case, uh, yeah, so they're 36 and 21. One game losing streak, but they are on top of the division seven and three in their last 10. They dropped the game to Winnipeg tonight after going two and one against Lincoln in the three prior. Uh, I could go through the schedule here, but honestly, I don't think it really makes a difference. They're the best team in the South Division. We kind of knew that coming in. They're a team that hits well. I don't want to say really well because only 276 is a team, but they do hit well. Kevin Santa plays well. Group John plays well. Guerrero plays well. Jan Hernandez plays very well. He has 19 home runs. Guerrero has 11 home runs. Willis has 10 home runs. Gillespie has 13, although his batting average isn't great. But, I mean, hey, he's still hitting home runs, so he has value for that alone. Pitching is wire. I think they kind of separate themselves a bit. Eh, 480, so not particularly, I suppose. But they also suffered from having a lot of guys get purchased. Uh, che... Mincy, uh, all guys, uh, Vasquez, another guy who's got his contract purchased. So that's definitely a bit of a problem on their end. Glowicki's another guy they lost, uh, although he wasn't doing particularly well. Uh, so not much of a loss. Ryan Newell's a guy who started a game, although he's a, he's a closer. That's just kind of what he is. Brian Ellington's done well at the bullpen. Uh, Diaz has done very well at the bullpen. Uh, so there are they're a team that gets by in that bullpen. Justin Schaefer's had a, had good weeks in the past, particularly last week. Uh, Jameson McCrane's another guy who's, you know, getting by. Although he started 11. He's, Jameson McCrane started seven games this year. That's just, I don't think that's the best use of him. But, I mean, hey, it's working, so who am I to complain? So, all in all, they're a team that gets by. They're not going to really overwhelm you in any area. They're, they're not going to really, like, disappoint you in any area. Plus... They did accomplish the rare feat of hitting back-to-back-to-back home runs to walk off a game. So I think that's worth acknowledgement uh, in and of itself. Yeah, that, that's insane. I agree. I think the Monarchs are definitely the best team in the South Division. And the thing that really stands out, uh, as, as you alluded to, Nick, is their power. I mean, they hit for a ton, a ton of power uh, as a team. I mean, 76 home runs in 57 games. I mean, it kind of speaks for itself, honestly. Uh, of course, a guy that I've been really, really high on for a long time, John Hernandez, really excelled this year. 19 home runs, hitting 318, uh, and, and he's far from the only one, of course, with Guerrero and Grote John also uh, hitting for a lot of power. I mean, when you have four different guys who are in double digits for home runs at this point in the season, I mean, you have a really good lineup, a really powerful lineup. And with your high contact guys, uh, more like Boat John mixed in there as well. That, I think that's, that helps a lot. And as far as their pitching staff, they lost a lot of guys, but they've done a pretty good, they've done a good job, uh, for the most part, I think, rebuilding on the fly, a solid job. Uh, but, and they have their core pieces in there that have, that are really able to take them specifically, uh, in that bullpen, uh, as well. So uh, Diaz, I mean, Diaz has been absolutely lights out. Uh, he's been lights out, and that's really helped the Monarchs. So I think that we expected them to be at the top. It took a while. Uh, yeah. It took a while, but, 
they're at the top now. Uh, and listen, they're going to be they're going to be in play for a title, but like we expected them to. We'll see who goes in, who goes out down the stretch. But I mean, the Monarchs are a really, really good team. Absolutely, there. And so with that, that brings us to our final team to talk about: the illustrious defending champions of the American Association, the Milwaukee Milkmen, uh, 39 and 20, a seven game winning streak, first place in the North, nine and one in their last 10. After sweeping the Woo! Chicago Dogs, they are off to a good start against King County, a 12 to uh, nine win last night uh, against the Cougars. Uh, again, looking at the schedules, kind of pointless when you look at this team because they can go toe to toe. Yeah, they can go toe-to-toe with just about anyone. I'll get to their batting in one second, but their pitching staff is a 4.42 ERA combined. They really haven't lost all too many guys from here. I mean, Holmberg's certainly a big loss, and same thing with uh, Dietz is certainly uh, not a small loss by any stretch there, but they had some really good fill-ins. Ryan Kuzma's back. He threw a very solid start his last time out. Nate Hadley's been very, very good. The UCLA product. Zach Hartman's been very good. Boyer's been very good. Miles Smith, usually a uh, bullpen guy, converted to a starter. He's been extremely good in that role. They're getting the job done. They seem to only really rely on uh, three starters now that they have, so they'll have to figure that out. I suppose that's why uh, Kuzma's in there, and then you just have a bullpen day every uh, fifth day. But however they decide to do it, it's certainly been working. They're getting the outs on the mound. And then when you look at the team's batting-wise, Oh, dearie, it's just threat after threat after threat. So you have David Washington, of course, who's hit 13 home runs and batting about 350, but he's only played about 40 games. Then, of course, you have our good friend Adam Brett Walker. And last year we said, oh, well, he's a dangerous power hitter, but he doesn't really hit for average. But when you're hitting for that kind of power, you can live with that. He took that to heart, and now he's batting 343 through 60 games and has 24 home runs and about 70 RBIs. And quite frankly, it is going to wind up being the MVP of the American Association again because the dude just, quote, straight rakes. And there's a reason why he brought back Moonshot Mondays. And that's because that's all this guy does. It's just hit moonshots right out of ballparks. And quite frankly, I'm again amazed how he has not been signed by a major league team. But what is a major league team's loss is uh, indie ball fans gain. And just before I quickly turn it over, you also have uh, Trey Martin, who's hitting nearly 300. Logan Trowbridge hitting nearly 300. Brett Vertigan hitting nearly 300. And Correa hitting nearly 300. Oh, and also Aaron Hill, who looks to be Getting more back towards that first couple weeks of the season where he was doing incredibly well. He's starting to, looks like, get back to that. So, while, yeah, the back half of their lineup doesn't seem to be hitting as well, they have, like, three or four really, really dangerous bats. And for that reason alone, they just seem to be very, very hard to beat. Oh, yeah, and also, just by the way, Trowbridge has 21 stolen bases and Walker has 11. So, that's something to watch. They're they're so stacked. They're they're so unbelievably stacked. Um, And we kind of knew this at the beginning of the year, and they have fulfilled expectations. I mean, to be honest with you, you you look at their team, right, and it's almost like I see some room where they could get better. Yeah. 
like honestly, we thought their pitching was going to be insanely good, and they've been good, but I mean they haven't been amazing by any stretch. Yeah. And they they could certainly be good. I mean, I mean, offensively, when David Washington, Adam Brad Walker, guys were coming into the year, we knew they could hit for power, but we didn't not we had no idea they could hit for this type of average while maintaining the power. Yeah. That and that's the thing that just really takes this milkman team over the edge and just they have there's not one easy out in this entire lineup like i almost feel bad for for guys like like brett vernigan who probably don't even get talked about a lot but, but he's hitting 292 as like a he's like a speed guy at that at the at the top of the order of course trowbridge certainly uh the big speed threat vernigan good defensive outfielder also yep. um and it, it's just such such a good team there's a reason they've really pulled away, and anything can happen in a baseball playoff series, as we've seen time and time again. But you'd have to think they're they are the favorite. Uh, they are the favorite to repeat right now. I mean, they have they have the who is certainly the American Association MVP at this point. It's not even a discussion, really, uh, and but perhaps best player in all of indie ball. Oh, yeah, no, he's making a very, very strong case for that. And I mean, just to kind of continue on with what you were saying a bit, it's like, well, who are you going to pitch around in this lineup? Like, at least with some of these other teams we've talked about, like we'll use Winnipeg, for example. Yeah, they got some guys they hit for average and whatnot, but you're not really afraid of them breaking a game open and just totally ruining your team. With the possible exception of, say, Kyle Martin, because he has that offensive, you know, power. So you could pitch around him to get to somebody else. There's just about every other team here. There's someone where you're like, yeah, I really don't want to pitch to them. I don't want to pitch to the other guys behind them, but I'm a lot more comfortable with that. So let's just get to them. This is a lineup where it's like, oh, I don't want to pitch to David Washington. Well, I certainly don't want to pitch to Adam Brett Walker. So let's see, maybe I'll pitch to uh, to Trey Martin. He doesn't really hit for power up, but he hits. he gets a hit about a third of the time. So I don't really want to do that. So let me try Trowbridge or Vertigan. Eh, not really, because, you know, they're still hitting about 300 too, and Trowbridge got a little bit of pop in his bat. And I mean, like, you just could do that for everybody in this lineup. There's really no, like you said, there's no easy out, and there's nobody you're like, yeah, if it's a bad situation to be in right now, there's, let's say, two runners on and one away, but I'd much rather have this guy, player C, than player B. There is no yeah. player C here. There's nobody nope. you'd rather have up because you don't want any of them up. Yeah, and that's what makes a team like Milwaukee so lethal. And they've honestly just built a, an indie ball powerhouse uh, over there uh, over the last couple seasons. As a as a relatively new franchise, it's very tough to do when so much of indie ball is based on reputation that a team has of getting guys back to affiliated ball. And that's what's made this more impressive. But, I mean, Milwaukee certainly on paper, best team in the American Association at this point. But, you know, games aren't played on paper. Playoff series certainly are not. And so that, that'll that'll make it really exciting down the stretch for sure. Yep, absolutely. And so with that, we finish talking about every team in the American Association. We're at about uh, 90 minutes in. We could back burn the Frontier League and the Atlantic League uh, for another date, probably next week. Because uh, at this point, we are running a little bit long uh, in this. So I guess with that, anything we have left to say on the American Association uh, that maybe we didn't cover somehow? I mean, I think we covered literally everything in human existence with the American Association, <laughs> obviously. 
I mean, uh, I, we, you have your top four. The biggest race for me uh, is that number two spot in the north. I, I think that's going to be the really exciting race down the stretch between Chicago and Fargo-Moorhead. Uh, and we'll see, if, we'll see if other teams get hot as well. So uh, I think that's certainly certainly in the cards also. So I, I think that, however, there's a lot of things to look forward to in the American Association. It's a really fun league this year, uh, certainly to cover, but uh, I think you could see a team like Sioux City start to sneak up. But I think that Chicago-Fargo-Moorhead race, likely the Chicago-Fargo-Moorhead race, is going to be the one to watch uh, for, for the last uh, 40 games or so. I would agree with that. I'd say for individual performances, the two I want to watch, one, obviously, Adam Brett Walker. I want to see if he can continue this pace because if he's able to just do even two-thirds of as well as he's done to this point, he's going to run away with MVP and probably Indie Ball Player of the Year, which will hopefully yeah. mean he'll get back to affiliated ball for next season, but we'll have to wait and see on that. And I want to watch Visa. I want to see how he does because he's done very well in limited amount of starts to this point. I think if he can string together, say, four or five more really solid starts for the rest of the year, which I think is certainly possible, then I think he has a very legitimate case to be pitcher of the year. And I think at this point, Wyatt Ehrlich is pretty much the lock for rookie of the year. I mean, the dude had a 40-game on base streak, a 30-game hitting streak, and is batting over 300. I mean, there's not much more you could really ask of a rookie to do. And like I said, he's one of the lone bright spots for the Canaries this year, and that may ruffle some feathers, but uh, that's just kind of the way... Uh, that goes. So I guess on that note, the only thing I want to just ask here before we get to the plugs and everything and wrap up for the week, who is your prediction right now to be the champion of the league and who do they defeat in the finals? So your finals matchup and your champion. Mm. You know, I, I think Kansas City is the best team in the South. But yeah. I think, you know, I'm going to go a little bold in a playoff series. I'm going to say Cleveland wins in a playoff series. I can see I that. Think, I, I think it's. It, I think the two of them are pretty evenly matched, uh, but you know, I can't pick against Milwaukee. They're just so mm-hmm. good, and so I'd probably say Milwaukee over Cleveland at the moment. I'm gonna agree with half of it. I agree with Milwaukee and Milwaukee winning the championship. I think. It, from the last five to ten minutes of us talking, everyone can kind of get that sense. I'm gonna say Kansas City. I could see Cleburne. I definitely could. And I know the guys, because they've told me before that they listen to this in the office, that they're not going to like me picking against them. So you just became their favorite co-host, without (laughs) a doubt. But I do think it would be a close series. I think it's going to go the distance. They'll go full five games. But I think in the end, Kansas City just has a little bit more firepower. And I think they have a little bit better pitching. It's really close, though. But I think I think you're right. In the end, it doesn't really matter who comes out of the South. Hell, you could have Sioux Falls come out of nowhere and come out of the South. It's going to be Milwaukee. Unless somehow, you know, let's say Fargo-Moorhead sneaks into that playoff spot and they find a way to felt the king, you know, knock them off their pedestal. In which that case, then, if we had like a Fargo-Moorhead versus Cleburne or Fargo-Moorhead versus uh, Kansas City, now that is an extremely interesting playoff series. Absolutely. There, there, there's not a bad matchup. There, there, there's a lot of just fun matchups you can make. Oh, absolutely. But uh, on that note, I know there was a little bit of news out of Staten Island. They became official today that they are officially joining the Atlantic League and they have like uh, the Rock's ex-wife involved and then like Michael Che, Colin Jost and like 
I think Pete Davidson from SNL, also part of ownership. We'll go into more on that, I guess, for the Atlantic League episode, or if we have time next week, we'll go more into that then. Uh, but really, outside of that, across the indie ball, there's not terribly much. I mean, the Ducks are doing fantastic right now. They won like 10 in a row. Uh, the legends still look to be on pace to clinch the the first half, which I'll, I have a rant for why the league split the halves when we get to that uh, that recap one. But um, anywho, uh, with that said, uh, we'll go to the plugs now and then we'll get out of here. Uh, if you want to follow the show on social media, you can do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod. You can do so on Instagram at IndieBallReport and at ALPB underscore news for all your Atlantic League coverage. Uh, you can do so also online on the website IndieBallReport.com. We've been doing a lot of series on the Instagram page, History Ofs. Uh, currently, we have a mini-series on the Nork Bears running. Uh, we also have a lot of alumni updates. We've done Troy Hare, Mikey Reynolds, uh, Mason Miltakis. Uh, so far, we got a couple more coming up, a lot of pitchers coming up. Uh, so you want to keep an eye out for that. And also weekly roundups. Those are all on the Instagram page, but they're also on the website. And on the website, you also have show notes and all the episodes and everything else in Ball Report. So be sure to check that out if you have the time to. And uh, if you want to find the show on other pop platforms, maybe you got this on Google Play or iTunes or Stitcher or Amazon Music. We're also on Spotify, TuneIn, uh, really just about any major podcatcher or anywhere you can get podcasts, you can probably find our show. So be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe on all of those platforms if you have not done so already. And with that said, do we have anything else left to add this week? I hinted at it earlier, and so it's going to be what I'm going to uh, talk about. Of course, over the past couple of days, uh, it, it has been reported. I'm a big college sports guy as well, basketball, football, in, in, uh, baseball even as well. Uh, so it, it's the news that uh, Oklahoma and Texas are pretty much as good as gone out of the Big 12. Uh, and into the SEC. Um, I understand football drives the bus. Uh, you know, it, of yeah. course, it just, it makes, it makes the most money. It is what it is. Uh, and, and I understand a lot of this, a lot of these, um, and not to say that Oklahoma and Texas should make decisions based on what is the best for college sports. Cause you know, they, that's not their interest. They shouldn't. Yeah. No, they uh, look up for their own school. Of course makes the most money is certainly being in the SEC would make them more money than would, you know, playing in the big 12 where it's kind of just Oklahoma, Texas and, you know, Oklahoma state's cool. Baylor has their years. TCU is uh, there and, occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, like TCU's hit or miss. Like they'll have some really good years. Yeah, Texas tech, like once a decade. Yeah. And so, uh, but at least for, for college sports, just like the landscape in general, it's hard to imagine a world where essentially like every single really good team in college football, I'll stick to, I'll stick to football yeah. uh, for the, at least for this. It's outside of Clemson and ACC, like any really, really good team. It's either in the big 10 of the SEC and mostly in the SEC. Yeah. It's going to be really, it's going to be really weird uh, and I don't know, it's easy to like rant and say like, I hate it. I don't know if I'm, I mean, the regular season is going to be insane, but I just don't know how having such an unbelievably stacked 16 team SEC is going to be. 
I, I don't know if that makes like, the overall landscape of college sports better. I don't know if it makes it, I, I don't think it really makes it more entertaining. And I, I just, I, I like, I liked the idea of parody and you had different conferences competing, uh, in the end. So I mean, just putting everybody who's good in the South part of the U.S. into the SEC is, you know, I, I don't think that, I think that's really, I, I don't know how, good that is for college sports. So it was kind of disappointing to, to, to see that, but I, I understand why the move is going to be made, but you know, it's just having any good Southern college football program in the SEC is not ideal for, for the sport in general. I don't think. Yeah. I, I don't like that. It's all compounded into basically two conferences, the big 10 and the, uh, the, the SEC now, I mean, there's Florida State and there's Clemson and then there's Notre Dame, which I mean, at this point, Notre Dame's basically an ACC school. Let's be real. Yeah. Uh, so there's a couple of outliers. Like I guess Oregon's an outlier. USC is occasionally an outlier. Uh, you know, maybe one of the Arizona schools is occasionally mainly ASU, but you know. It, Overall, like I'm not the biggest college football fan outside of like college hockey. I'm not that big into college athletics. Uh, but yeah, whenever you have one or two conferences really dominate the whole sport landscape, it really does kind of kill parity. And at that point, you know, it's kind of like, oh, why am I watching some of these games when we get into like the postseason bit? Because look, I should really just watch one conference because that's really where everything is. And I'm not sure, like you said, I'm not necessarily sure it's a bad thing. It's just, it doesn't seem very sporting as where I kind of land on it. Like, I want it to be competitive. I want there to be, you know, to have those kind of debates of which conference is the best. And which, you know, what if, is this team really that good? Which now we're going to have this discussion in the ACC. Is this team really that bad? Because it's like, well, look, if you're LSU, you got to play Texas, Oklahoma, Alabama, Auburn. It's like Georgia. It's like, well, what the hell? Like, if you're playing these teams constantly, and meanwhile you have a team like, I'm going to pick on Rutgers because I can't. You have a team like Rutgers that's playing like, okay, great. You have Ohio State and you have Michigan and Penn State. It's like, okay, great. You have three tough teams. Everybody in the ACC has like five tough games. So have fun with it. It's like, how am I supposed yeah. to gauge this? Yeah, I think, and that's that's the thing. Like, if you look at other teams, like even in SEC West, for example, like a team like Arkansas or or, uh, or Mississippi State, or uh, I mean, who, who occasionally have their years. I guess Mississippi State more than more than Arkansas. Yeah, even I Old mean, Miss in there. Cool. Yeah, sure. And like M- Missouri, go back to the Big Twelve. <laughs> Missouri is not an SEC team. It's no. It's not just now that uh, it's just like, how are they supposed to build? Like how are they supposed to have like any chance to build a program? Like, and I, I know I'm probably like, we know the playoff is Alabama Clemson, Ohio state and one other team every year, but yeah. you know, it, it, it would have been nice to be a little bit more competitive and stuff like that. Yeah. The only way Missouri builds programs so they get the legendary chase Daniel back on campus. They oh, need boy. chase Daniel. <laughs> Everybody Way needs better. chase Daniel in their life. You can get Blaine Gabbard over there, too. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to quickly add my things to add, and then we'll get out of here because because we are running pretty long for this episode, and I'm going to have yeah. a fun time editing this at 1 o'clock in the morning. Uh, quickly, 
NHL free agency starts on Wednesday. That's my whole day from about noon to five o'clock at night. I am just going to be watching free agent frenzy because I can. Also, I'm pissed off about the Ranger draft. That's a whole nother rant for another time. And I'll probably go into that when we get into October. But the other thing and the more important thing I want to add is on the 27th of July, it's a very important day because it is the day that is dedicated to the best state in the union, New Jersey. It is National New Jersey Day. So for all the New Jerseyans out there, congratulations. Happy, happy New Jersey Day. Go out and enjoy the state, especially if you have your fancy little Vax Pass. You can go to just about any state park, actually every state park for free. So take advantage of that, especially beaches like Island Beach. Great place to go. You got High Point. You got Smartwood. You got uh, Spruce Run. You got a whole bunch of options. Enjoy the beauty of the state of New Jersey. And everyone that's not from New Jersey, you're just missing out because we're the best state in the union. And people don't want to acknowledge how important New Jersey is to running everything. But hey, that's their loss. We don't want them here because as the state motto goes, welcome to New Jersey. Now go home. (laughs) Well, what can you be like a proud New Jerseyan, but just like not in New Jersey for a couple months? I mean, I suppose I am on Cape Cod. I am on Cape Cod for the entire summer, so. Yeah, I mean, like it's certain. I mean, like here's the thing: you can take someone out of Jersey, but you can never take the Jersey out of the person. It's just kind of always there. Absolutely. Like you can tell. Like that's the thing: if you leave the state of New Jersey, you can instantly pick up on things. It's just like, oh, yeah, you're from the Northeast, and then when you start watching them a little bit, you're like, oh, that's a Jersey move right there. But I say that as I have my giant New Jersey state flag hanging up behind me, which is a legit thing, too. I have I'm going to post that on New Jersey Day. Just want to point that out. But with that said, we're at an hour and 45 minutes before I edit this thing down. And it's going to be a bitch of editing this. And I'm not going to sleep before 4 a.m. So with that said and nothing else left to add until next time, don't forget to play ball.